0: On today's episode, Griffith Park, Mountain Lions, Blogs, Lyme Disease, and the Benefits of Local Hiking. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Your hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick.
1: So on today's episode of the Almost There Adventure podcast, we have with us Casey Schreiner, who you may know from Modern Hiker. He is also an author of a couple of books, one that is, has been out for a while called Day Hiking Los Angeles, and another one that's about to be out, or probably out by the time you hear this podcast, called Discovering Griffith Park. So welcome to the show, Casey. Thank you so much, guys.
2: Nice to see y'all
0: again. So, Casey, why don't we start off? Why don't we get into what Modern H- Hiker
1: is
2: and, and how you started it? Sure. So, uh, Modern Hiker is a is a website that has become sort of a a source of trail information for hikers kind of all over the American West. Um, it started out as a blog spot. Uh, page that I was running as a personal blog um, back in the ancient internet history of like 2004, 2005, um, which was at that point, it was um, I had just moved out to Los Angeles from New England, um, and it was things I was doing on the weekends, um, things I didn't like about LA, there was a lot of that on there, um, the weird music videos I was into, just like your general nonsense, like live journal blog spot, nothing. Um, and then over time, I had discovered that people were sort of searching for hiking information in in Los Angeles and stumbling their way onto my very unprofessional website um, and thought that I could I should probably just like spin off all the hiking content onto its own thing so that people who are looking for hiking information wouldn't be subjected to the rest of my nonsense um and that's basically how modern Hiker started it was not a a thing that i was hoping to turn into something not a thing that i was hoping to do for god how long have i been doing it now uh like almost 15 or 16 years now at this point um And uh, I think spinning it off into its own thing and finding that domain name really helped me focus what the site was and what it could be. Um, Up until that time, I was also not outdoorsy. Um, This was literally I was learning how to be outside. I had a friend of mine who who, uh, was working with me who was uh, was a hiker. I actually went hiking and camping and knew how to do all that stuff. And I was like indoor kid from New England who you couldn't pay to go outside growing up. Um, but I'd never been exposed to these mountains before. We've got the San Gabriels and the um, Santa Monica mountains out here. And I'd never seen anything like them before. I just wanted to see them and experience them and learn more about them. So um, most of those early posts, um, there's, they're full of mistakes. Uh, I'm wearing cotton. I'm not bringing enough water or food. Like I'm making every mistake that everyone makes when when they start hiking. Um, and that also, I think, kind of informed what the site became as a not like, we're not sort of like hardcore adventure, you know, blog type thing where people have to be like, taking six months off of work to go do something. It's a lot of weekend warrior stuff, things that are like approachable for most people. Um, and I have a lot of sympathy for new hikers and I try to be as welcoming as possible because I was also a new hiker um, and made all the mistakes and got looked down my nose at from other people and all that sort of stuff. Well, to be fair to you, there's like way more
0: ticks on the, in new England than there are here. Yes. So, it's, so yes, it's, so like,
2: we, we, we don't have mountain lions, but we do have a lot of ticks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Lyme disease. That's, that's real. That's real stuff. So, And then from that, you even took it a step further and you've now uh, started writing books.
2: Yeah. So I did my first book uh, was, I think, end of 2016 that officially came out. It was called Day Hiking Los Angeles. Um, And at that point, it was, I think it still is the most up-to-date hiking guide book for Los Angeles. Um, Really inspired by two um, really tremendous authors that really sent me... On a lot of hikes, um, John Robinson and Jerry Shad, um, both of whom had either retired or passed away at that point, um, so no one was re- no one had really written a new hiking book for LA in I think six or seven years um, when that first book came out, um, and that book really used LA as an anchor. So the idea for that book was no matter where you are in the city of LA, which that phrase, the city of L.A., means basically L.A. County um, and several bleed overs into neighboring counties as well. Um, and uh, so I wanted to make sure that there was somewhere that you could get to within, you know, 30, 40 minutes of your front door that would give you a good experience of being outside uh, while being in the city. So it really kind of fo- used the city as a focus and then um, highlighted a lot of trails that don't get written about in a lot of guidebooks, kind of neighborhood stuff. Like there was some Griffith Park things in there, but also things like the Santa Susana mountains or the Puente Chino Hills, which are more sort of like neighborhoody parks. Like people who live there know about them. But if you're visiting LA or even if you're an LA hiker and you go to, you know, the big mountains out here, you generally don't go to those places. Um, you, may be, you, may see, you, you mostly drive past them on the way to whatever hike you're going to.
3: So most people listening might wonder like why a hiking guide for Los Angeles, because people don't think of Los Angeles as a place that would have hiking as part of the city or county or however we define it. Um, So how many hikes are in this book? Uh,
2: So in Day Hiking LA, I think it's 125 uh, trails and it's obviously not all of them. Uh, There's still a lot of hiking trails that I have not done uh, and will hopefully be put in some new future edition of the book. Um, But yeah, LA does not uh, get it's fair shake as an outdoor city I think um, I certainly didn't know that hiking was a thing when I moved here I moved here for TV and entertainment writing um, and uh, you know I was involved with a couple different companies I was involved with um, Columbia Sportswear for a couple years during their sort of early influencer program um, and I was involved in a documentary um, it was called the Omni 10 uh, project or something and we shot this thing and we went up to Portland Oregon which is a very outdoorsy city um, I think they're you are born and you are issued a pair of hiking boots immediately. Um, and there was a line that I did in a documentary about discovering the trails of Los Angeles, and the crowd watching it in Portland laughed as if it was a joke. Uh, because they just assume that L.A. is all strip malls and the Walk of Fame and maybe In-N-Out Burger. Um, and we have all those things, but we also have trails. Uh, and in many ways, the sort of rugged wilderness areas that are in L.A. are closer to most of the cities uh, or the things that you think of as a city, the built-up urban areas. Uh, our city is bisected by the largest national park or urban national park unit in the country, Santa Monica Mountains. Um, the geographic center of the city of L.A. is inside that national recreation area Franklin Canyon. Um, We have like two major mountain ranges coming into the city. There's a mature male mountain lion that lives inside Griffith Park. Like the nature here is crazy, but because it's all associated with film and TV and entertainment stuff and aerospace, like we're not thought of as a nature city. Um, So part of my book and part of the website was trying to sort of change people's ideas of what LA is and what it can be.
3: Yeah. I often say or tell people that we have Backcountry environments with front country access. Mm. Right? Because we have it's it's actually so close. We were just hiking this weekend and we were 30 minutes from home, you know, 15 minutes, depending on, you know, from a major highway and depending on which way you looked, you could see the outline of LA or you could just see endless, endless mountains. We were up in the San Gabriel's, so in Angeles national forest. Um, So yeah, so I think there's this huge opportunity for outdoor stuff, but I love that you did a a hiking book on LA, but really in the heart of LA is Griffith park. So tell us a little bit about that journey.
2: Um, Yeah. So Griffith park um, is one of the largest Uh, municipal city parks in all of North America. Um, It has a crazy history. It's a really special place. And again, it sort of um, encapsulates everything that kind of L.A. is. It's a mix of very manicured um, city park things, like things you would find in a central park or a Golden Gate Park. Um, It has the L.A. Zoo. It's got golf courses. It's got tennis courts. Um, It's got, uh, you know, tons and tons of, like, built up, developed things. But then it's also got this really substantial chunk of it that's fairly untouched urban wilderness. Um, rugged peaks, Chaparral mountains that are you know, over 1,600 feet tall, um, that mature male mountain line that lives inside Griffith Park. It's really rugged and wild. And a lot of people don't have a really sense of what it is, the scope of how big it is, and sort of how special it is For LA, Um, It's also four times the size of Golden Gate Park in San Francisco and five times the size of Central Park. So people think, um, you know, it's kind of hard to see all of Griffith at once. So you see, oh, maybe I'm in the part around the zoo or maybe I went to the observatory and you kind of think that that's all the Griffith Park is. Um, But it's so much bigger than that. And I think when you give people those stats, uh, you know, it's, you know, uh, five times the size of Central Park, people kind of have a better idea of how big Central Park is. Um, And also between 10 and 12 million people a year visit. Griffith Park, um, which is more than almost any individual national park unit um, other than Smoky Mountains. And that's just because people drive through it. um, So they count those as visitors. Um, Individual parks are usually, you know, between two and four million. um, And Griffith is more than double that. So I think people don't appreciate how many people go there, um, how much stuff is in there, both for hiking and also cultural historical stuff as well.
1: One of the things that I love about Griffith Park is that it's basically free. You know, I mean, yeah. you can go there and enjoy it and you don't have to pay an entrance fee or anything like that. So that's one of the things that's really great about it.
2: Yeah. L.A. Um, L.A. does not have great parks <laughs> in general. Um, the uh, The Trust for Public Land does their park index score where they rank the hundred biggest cities in the country and they, you know, they grade them on a b- bunch of different metrics. L.A. is getting better, but we're usually in the bottom third. Um, we're usually below like Bakersfield and like some of those other like cities that people don't really consider cities. Like, for a city the size and, like, scope of L.A., um, we're bad. Um, We have good open spaces, but they tend to be um, very, like, concentrated. Like, if you live near the Santa Monicas, if you live near Griffith Park, like I do, you have great access to them. But if you live... You know, even here we're in Koreatown, like, uh, it's not that easy to get to Griffith Park. It's like one bus line up to get to the Ferndale entrance. Um, But yes, part of it is it's free. um, It's open to everyone. And that's part of the founding documents of... Griffith Park is it is meant to be a park for the people of Los Angeles, um, and it's designed so that you can't have barriers to entry. So they can never charge admission. Um, you know, they have to have access to people. Uh, initially, um, the donor of the park, Griffith J. Griffith, was very gung-ho on providing public transit access to this park. And at one point, he and his son actually ran their own buses into the park because the city wouldn't do it. Um, So they were very, very progressive in making sure that the park was for everyone. And today, Griffith Park is um, really—I think—it's one of the few sort of true melting pots that LA has. Um, It's one of the few places where you can go and see, you know, trail runners working up a sweat, or like boxers in those weird plastic jumpsuits, like running up and down a hill, along with like. Weird people walking with like parrots on their shoulders and like quinceanera parties and barbecues and like all sorts of L.A. weirdos. And it's like it's one of the few places where everyone sort of, you know, rubs shoulders together and gets out of their cars and um, enjoys the outdoors, which is really cool.
3: How long did it take you to explore all the uh, trails to put into the book? Or, or
2: and have you or explored have all you? the trails? <laughs> uh, so there a
3: trail left untouched? Yes.
2: I. Well, actually, there's one chunk of one trail that I didn't do. Um, it's called the main trail. And it's basically, it's a fire road that kind of hugs the side of the five. Um, and I was just like, I, you know what? I'm not going to write about that section. Like, it'll be in the map so people can make a loop out of it if they want to. But um, it's not much. It's great for trail runners and great for equestrians. But for... Um, for hikers, it's not a thing that you would really go out of your way to go to. Um, but there are about 70 miles of trails in the park. Um, and I can conclusively say that I have hiked every single designated trail inside Griffith Park. Um, if you go there, there's a lot of use trails there. There's a lot of like... Fire breaks that people think are trails or maybe at one point they were an official trail and now they're not an official trail. So those I have not done all of them, but um, I can I can say absolutely I have done every single trail inside Griffith Park. Um, and it took about a little over a year um, between when I pitched the book and when I turned in the final manuscript for it. That's that's great. You, you also might get run over by me on my bicycle
0: as I ride my bike there, probably. <laughs> Anywhere from one to like three days a week, I, I do the loop there. Because riding on most of the roads around Los Angeles is, is pretty treacherous. Yeah. So it's kind of nice. I mean, every once in a while, if we ride later later in the day, you get the commuters, you know, especially if traffic's bad. People will try to cut across the park, and they're driving a little fast and aggressive. But other than that, usually people drive really reasonably, and there's nice big wide bike lanes, and, you know, it's real pretty. You know, you see. I've seen deer. And I've seen – I saw a bobcat, you know, catch a squirrel. I've seen all kinds of cool stuff just riding my bike through the park. It's really an amazing resource to have in such a
2: massive sort of sprawling urban, you know, city. Yeah, and it is is great for cyclists too. So one of the things that I pitched for the book was um, it's not just a hiking guide. I pitched it as a pocket visitor center. So there's tons of history, but also – for the many different ways that you can use the park. So specifically for cyclists, um, I'm a cyclist too. And cycling in LA is terrifying. It is. uh, I think Bicycling Magazine in 2018 named it the most dangerous cycling city in America um, because no one here is watching. And the city is built for cars first and everything else a distant, distant afterthought. Um, but Griffith is one of the few places where you can ride on paved roads that are closed to most cars. Um, and they're really good workouts, too. You crest, um, basically, the, the some of the high points of the park on those roads, and they're really, really fun. And there's also bike lanes and bike paths that are striped And because you're in a park, speed limits are generally lower. Now, whether or not Angelenos are following those speed limits is another question. But for the most part, it's a little bit safer in there. So I have a whole section on how you can cycle in the park. And I have a specific cycling map for the park, which is um, very tedious to make. But I think it turned out pretty good for the book.
1: Oh, very cool. I'm looking forward to taking advantage of that. Yeah. Um, So one of the famous pieces of wildlife, or one of the, the famous uh, characters of the park is P-22. Um, I know some people get intimidated when they think about, oh, gosh, if I go on these trails, there's mountain lions, you know, do I need to carry some kind of pepper spray or anything like that? What advice do you have for people who are concerned about the wildlife?
2: Um, so generally, in Griffith Park specifically, um, you really don't need to be worried that much about anything. Um, I, I mean, you guys all know like mountain lion attacks are extremely rare. Um, when they get when they do happen, they get covered very dramatically. Um, No one really wants to be attacked by a mountain lion. Um, It sounds terrifying. I'm happy never seeing them. I'm happy never seeing even a footprint of a mountain lion, to be honest. I just like knowing they're there. But they're extremely, extremely rare. um, They see you, though, Casey. Oh, I know (laughs) they do. I'm (laughs) sure they do. That's (laughs) the scary thing about mountain lions. You don't see them, but they see you. I am 100% sure that I've been spotted by several mountain lions uh, in my hiking time here in LA. Um, But generally, the tip is, like, for most wildlife, you just make a lot of noise and look stupid and like make yourself look big um most wildlife doesn't want anything to do with you either um so in griffith park the sort of semi-dangerous things are there's one mountain lion that lives there that's tracked and collared that doesn't want anything to do with you although it did snack on a koala a couple years ago in the la zoo um so it's got that going for it um there's coyotes there which are mostly safe for humans unless you're a very small human or a very small dog um those can get into trouble um and then we've got ticks that are there but again most of trails are wide and very heavily trafficked so you're not i haven't really encountered ticks in griffith park um and then rattlesnakes that show up during the warmer months Um, and hikers do encounter those but it's the same thing you make a lot of noise or you take a break on the trail Um, when i see a rattlesnake on the trail i'm like that's my lunch break i'm gonna backtrack about 50 yards sit down uh let that thing get its sun on and maybe move on and then i'll continue my hiking
3: is there any experience that sort of stands out when you're doing all of your research from any of the others just i don't know highlight Low point.
2: Uh, High or low? Well, yeah. So for for Griffith Park, um, I'm I'm a native plant nerd. Um, Listening at home, you can't see, but I have three California native plant tattoos, and I'm wearing a native plant shirt uh, from a native plant nursery here in Southern California that I love. Um, And I really lucked out because I got to hike most of the trails for the Griffith Park book during the rainy and cool season of a really wet year. So the plants were amazing when I was hiking. Um, The photos in this book, like you will never see Griffith Park that green ever again. I don't think like it's going to look extremely photogenic. So I loved getting to see all these plants blooming and um, watching them as they came from the wet season into the drier season. Um, I just love watching the chaparral and sage scrub and seeing what works and what goes next to each other. Um, in terms of um, kind of high points, um, I really started to focus on the birds in Griffith Park. Um, I'm not a birder, but um, I st- I'm starting to learn some of the some of the bigger, more majestic stuff here um, down in the LA River. You see the great blue herons um, that are really, really cool looking. We've got red-tailed hawk, red-shoulder hawks, Cooper hawks. Um, peregrine falcons show up Um, the ravens in griffith park are super smart and really chatty Um, there's stuff like the um, california scrub jay which are some of the smartest birds around Um, so i really started to pay attention to um, the the avian wildlife in the park Um, unfortunately i'm a plant photographer so i'm way too slow to take pictures of any wildlife Um, but i had some really good friends who like sort of donated some wildlife photography Um, so there's great photos of Birds and tarantulas and all sorts of fun stuff that are in the book um, that other people took um, because they're much faster than I am. If it's a plant, I can capture it. If it's moving, it's, someone else has to do that. I have to say, uh, you're talking about like the LA River, you know, because part of my route we
0: ride along on the bike path along the river. And every ride we see either a blue heron, we see egrets, which are just these really beautiful, you know, large birds. We've yeah. had pelicans <laughs> like. You know, ride, right along us flying through the river while we're on the side of it. So, so it's, it's really a, an amazing place for birds. Yeah. Have you kayaked in the LA river yet? I haven't. I don't know. I don't know that I want to. It's so much fun. Is it
2: really? It's really fun. Yeah. Um, it's so in, in Griffith park, you can't really, there's not really good kayaking where the river sits in Griffith park, at least not now. Um, but above and below it, there are certain sections where you can go kayaking in the summer months. Um, and I did it a few years ago when they were still kind of being, you had to have a permit now you can just go in um, during the summer months um and it's such a weird experience to be in a kayak like on your back looking up and you see these willows and oak trees and you're watching these birds fly around you and then like you sit up and then you see downtown LA in the distance and you're like where the heck am I like this is such a crazy place to be um it's definitely worth doing and the water is like people are afraid of it because it's it's treated runoff for the most part. And it's like, it's not the cleanest water. Like you wouldn't want to drink it. But if you take a shower afterward, you're, you're pretty fine.
3: Probably not any worse than the beach. I, I probably actually <laughs> cleaner than the beach, yeah. to be
1: honest. <laughs> yeah, that actually sounds like a pretty fun adventure. Kayaking the LA River. Um, so one of the questions that I think a lot of people, I think the first time we met in person, Casey, was hiking to the Hollywood sign. Oh yes, we yeah. met at, at uh, the
2: Hollywood Reservoir
1: and, yes. and hiked up to the Wisdom Tree, and we hit Burbank Peak and yeah. uh,
2: Cahuenga. Yes, the, the 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 classic toughest route of
1: the, to the Hollywood That was time. awesome. Yeah. yeah, that was awesome. So, that's a question you probably get. From time to time, like yeah. how do I get to the? What's the best way to get to the Hollywood sign? You know, so what is the best way to get to uh, the Hollywood? So sign? I think actually
2: that's that might be the most frequently asked question in Los Angeles, yeah. um, other than where does celebrity X live and can I go to their house? Right. Um, <laughs> the Hollywood sign is such a weird thing because. It is a totally accidental landmark. Um, it was built to advertise a housing subdivision just below the park. Initially, that thing was only meant to last like 18 months. It was like a rickety cardboard thing with a bunch of lights on it that lit up and was like really garish. Um, and then over the years, it's become like the symbol for the entertainment industry, the symbol for Los Angeles, and in a lot of ways, like the symbol for America, like LA exports culture. And that's really what America has exported since we don't really manufacture that much anymore. Now we export culture. Um, and L.A. is the source of a good chunk of that culture. So people come home, come here from all over the world and they want to see that idea of American film and television industry. And that is, for better or worse, the Hollywood sign. Um, and there's not really a good way to find out how to get there um, a couple years ago uh what it was the city councilman tom labonge um, was uh representing that district and he actually lobbied i think garmin and google to change the directions to the hollywood sign so that it shifted to the griffith observatory um, which i think the la times noted was not even the best place to see the sign but it was just the most politically expedient um so they sh- they shifted everyone there Then the observatory became super crowded. Then the streets below the Hollywood sign became super crowded. And it's an old 1920s neighborhood where the streets are like, they don't even have sidewalks on them. They're really not designed for even like, Any modern cars, let alone like throngs of tourists coming in. Um, So in the book, I think there's like 13 different ways to see the Hollywood sign. Um, And it's the full range of how much effort you want to put into it. If you just want to go look at it, you can go to the observatory or you can even go to the Hollywood and Highland shopping mall and see it from there. So you can get, you know, get some gelato from a vending machine and look at the Hollywood sign and then walk to the Hall of Fame, get your picture taken with Spider-Man or whatever. Um, And there's a bunch of different hikes to get to it so there's that one up to the wisdom tree is probably the best hike um it's the shortest route it's also the steepest um now it's the one that i see like That has become a lot more popular over the past couple years and now i see people going up there with like you know dress shoes and no water and no snacks and i always try to warn them that like what you're about to do is is an actual hike like this is not like a little walking path to the sign like there are other places to go if you want that that are very easy and very approachable yeah there's some scrambling on that hike it's a tough trail it's one of the toughest trails in the park um and if you want to do one that's a hike that's like more reasonable you can go up from brush canyon AKA Bronson Canyon, which is like sort of the longer fire road ascent. Um, that's pretty easy and for most And then you folks. get to see the, the Batcave. Then you get to see the Batcave, which has been in like a thousand movies and TV shows. Star Trek, The Searchers, um, Teenagers from Outer Space is my favorite movie that that thing has been in.
0: Uh, and we should say if you're visiting LA and you want to visit Severia's house, her address is.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are, are you in one of those canyons? I am not in one of those canyons. Okay, I'm
3: here a know. canyon. Yeah. We're just <laughs> looking for celebrities. Just, she
2: hasn't you know, She
0: hasn't yeah. made it. She, she has <laughs> made it The star maps just yet, so we thought we'd
1: we'd add add her. Just be sure you bring cookies. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, We'll
3: hike hike for cookies. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say, you know, when you started this journey, did you ever think that you're, I mean, I know that you have another life outside of Modern Hiker, but you sort of have this identity of like hiking is part of who you are now. And through Modern Hiker, it's sort of become this you know, it's not all of who you are, but it is very much the public facing piece of who you are. Yes. How is, I mean, what's that like?
2: It's really weird. Like, and how do you like uh, reconcile that? Right. <laughs> with like, It's super weird. It's not anything again, like the whole way that I started modern hiker was just like, here's what I'm doing on the weekend. And no, I was like my mom and maybe one person from work was reading it. And that was it. Like it was more for me. Like I was just, I am an elder millennial. So I like grew up with like that cusp of like i still know what a card catalog is but i also remember getting the internet when i was in middle school and like i started a blog when i was in middle school it was just like what i did um, as part of it so uh, i've sort of become as like people say that i went like a quote-unquote famous hiker um which is very strange because that's not true first of all like i'm not like a world known athlete like if you are in the mountains of southern california there's a chance that you may know who i am <laughs> but that's about it um and it's 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 very strange. Um, I sort of tell people when I'm doing presentations or um, leading classes or doing interpretive hikes that hiking um, takes up 80% of my life and pays about 10% of my bills. Um, And then I'm an entertainment person as well. So I do TV stuff, um, live presentations, that sort of thing. And those, I'm lucky enough to have a pretty good rotating cast of gigs um, that doesn't take up a ton of time but pays decently enough to basically subsidize the website and travel for hiking and doing group hikes and that sort of thing. Um, I don't know if that answered your question at all, but I certainly talked for a long time.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So something else with your sort of the public modern hiker thing is you've had some advocacy situations where you sort of had to like stand up, like there's been some issues with people not treating the outdoors well. And so there's been a sort of public forum issues. How has that been navigating, again, sort of that putting a lens on things that aren't going well in the parks. And there's a couple of examples that I can think of if you want to share them. Yeah, but it's, it's like there's a responsibility to protect those places now yes. that you love.
2: Yeah. It's been really interesting. I'm um, and you guys are probably all on the same page on this. Like mm-hmm. uh, when you are that invested in the outdoors and for me personally, discovering the outdoors here was just like such an enriching experience to me. And I had friends in college when my first book came out and they were like, if you had told me that one of my friends was going to write a hiking book and it was you, Casey Schreiner, I would have laughed off off the face of the earth because I was not, like, this was not in my cards at all. But this one friend said that I came to it with, like, the passion of a late convert. Um, And I think that's really accurate because I do care about it quite a lot. Um, And I think over the time, and Jeff, you kind of started around the same time with SoCal Hiker. Like, we navigated the space, like, Before social media during social media and then like even just the different types of social media So like we've seen like, okay We had blogs before and it was just blogs and people were finding out their hiking information from blogs Maybe using something like Google reader or an RSS reader then it turned to Facebook and then it was like everyone was using Facebook to find stuff Then Facebook started doing doing pay-to-play stuff then it moved to Instagram and now it's Instagram is like the thing that's driving a lot of people and watching How that information changes in those different mediums has been really interesting. So I am all for people using the Internet to find outdoor stuff like it's it's like 90 percent of what I do in the outdoors is online. Like I'm not against it, Um, but there is there's been this sort of like jump to really latch onto social media as like a promotional tool, both from the parks perspective and also from like individual quote unquote influencers perspective, um, where people are not thinking about what their actions are beyond, you know, what it means for like, Oh, is, um, is Snuggies or Ralph's going to like sponsor my next post. Like um, there was a big thing recently with the wildflower blooms here in Southern California. Um, We've had these great, great wet years after many, many years of drought. um, And, this was kind of the first time that social media was really a driver of traffic to these places. And some, like Walker Canyon in Orange County, like literally had to shut down. Like the mayor came out and just like shut down the whole canyon. They turned off the exit from the freeway because there were too many people there. And then once you saw what happened after all the people left, these wildflower um, fields were just trampled because people were just lying in the fields and taking photos for their, you know, for their Instagrams and and not thinking about what they were doing to the landscape. Um, So I've tried to figure out like... What's a good way to like be responsible on social media while still inspiring people to get into the outdoors without like I, there's that weird public shaming of stuff that happens in social media, which is such a sticky topic because on the one hand, it is effective, right? Like it works. It shuts those people down. And when you have these public land agencies that are not equipped to deal with – Even just the boots on the ground, let alone having, like, a social media officer who can, like, track these people down, like, they're not really equipped to deal with it, so they can't really do it. But that shaming turns so quickly into abuse and so quickly into doxing that just gets so disgusting and nasty and is, like, not at all what you want. When – if you're trying to protect the outdoors and you're, like – sharing someone's personal uh you know personal address and like putting their phone number up so that people can just like call their family like that's not helping anyone so it's such a weird sticky topic um so i'm I'm trying to sort of like navigate that just as someone who i'm a citizen of the web and i'm also a citizen of the outdoors um and i feel like there's not a ton of us out there who have really had that understanding of like both sides. Like you guys are all sort of in that same field and there's a lot of great people who are doing that. Um, and it's interesting to watch that discussion and see like what, what people are latching onto, what becomes popular at any time. Um, and it's,
0: I, yeah, I, I can really talk
2: about it forever.
0: I think we're evolving also, and we're starting to understand the dark side of cancel culture. Yes. And I think now we're like, oh, yeah, that's really bad. We shouldn't do that. I think there's a time where you're like, like, oh, my God, they're jumping up and down on all the poppies, and they're killing them. Let's ruin their life. But then you kind of realize, oh, yeah, you kind of ruin someone's life. And they yeah. probably, yeah. when they were jumping up and down on the poppies, they did, they weren't thinking they were doing – they didn't necessarily know they were doing something yeah. wrong. You know, there's, a, I guess, a, a certain amount of education we need to maybe learn to be better educate people on how to – you <laughs> you know, enjoy these, these kind of natural phenomena, these big moments.
1: Yeah. I think that's one of the tricks is that, you know, going back to when you started modern hiker, when I started SoCal hiker there, you know, you have a blog post, you have a chance to, you know, explain, Oh, by the way, you should bring enough water. You should have sunscreen. You should follow the rules, leave no trace. All of those things come up, become a part of the instruction that goes along with this beautiful trail guide and the photos and everything else. And that's become distilled down a step when it went to, Facebook and distilled down a step further when I went to Instagram. It's like, hey, here's a pretty place with a beautiful picture and I've got poppies in the background. You should go here and you could do the same damn picture. Right,
2: (laughs) right. And even on something like Instagram, like a couple years ago, I tried to do outline these uh, sort of concepts of digital leave no trace. So um, the Leave No Trace Foundation has since like adopted some of those things. They've had a lot of pressure from other groups as well. Um, But one of those things was just very simply don't geotag or geotag vaguely. Um, And even in a post on Instagram where I will spell out in paragraphs of text, like exactly what the name of this place is and even say like link on the bio to my trail guide to how to get there. I don't geotag where it is. And the first comment's always, where is this? Like the Instagram audience, just a lot of them just want to click on that geotag and go there and take that photo, um, which is really tough. Um, But the way I sort of fell into this whole thing was, I forget when it was, 2013 or 14 um, was the case of Casey Knockett, who was the sort of first Instagram vandal of the modern age, I guess. And she had done this really cool-looking road trip across the American West. um, And on her Instagram and Tumblr was basically drawing or painting inside the parks on boulders um, and basically vandalizing, like, I think a half dozen or maybe even a dozen parks, state and federal. Um, And I was one of the people that sort of, like, first saw that post and, you know, screen grabbed everything and put a post up about it and then sent it to the authorities at the park service. Um, And that very quickly turned into people saying, oh, I found her mom's phone number. Here it is. Or here's where she lives. And a lot of it was just like not true. Um, But it very quickly got out of hand. And I was trying to like add on to my blog post saying like, please do not do this. Like you are not helping anyone. Like the people who need to know about this know about it already. Like we can all just Calm down, but like literally for years until her verdict was reached, like I would get three or four emails a week asking what happened to her. People calling for blood, like they wanted her to like pay millions of dollars to the park service and live in jail forever. And it's like, like what do you want? Like what do you want from these people? Like she, I think, I think eventually she did several hundred hours of community service, and um, she ended up not paying. The fines that she could have had, which uh, to me, that's fine. Like there was that kid up in um, the uh, Columbia River Gorge a couple years ago that started the fire with fireworks. And people again were like, he should be on the hook for the whatever, $8 million of damages. And it's like, this kid's like 17 years old. Like he's never paying you $8 million. That's just not happening. So what's like a realistic and hopefully constructive punishment that like tells people, Please don't do this. He learns a lesson. The public learns a lesson. The parks can get a little bit back and maybe get some volunteers to come in like that. To me, is a much more constructive way to deal with that stuff rather than like getting out the the torches and pitchforks and And, forming an online mob and stuff and ruining their lives for no reason, really. Yeah, Um,
0: I I enjoyed. I've I've loved it since it started the series. The um, um. um, was it lost LA? Oh yes. And I yeah. saw you on lost LA. I was excited. I'm like, Oh, Hey, someone I know was on the show. I watched that was very cool in Griffith park and whatever. That's Yeah. A-
2: it's, um, it's a, it's a history show on KCET. Um, I think it's in their fourth season now, um, hosted by Nathan masters. Who's like in the LA archives at USC. Um, he used to do a thing called LA is subject. That was basically just like weird LA nerd history stuff as a blog post, I think for KCT and I'm a weirdo history person. So I like loved it and fell in love with it and like stalked him at the LA archives Bazaar and like told him how much I loved what he did. And he was like, Oh, I actually read modern hiker and love this stuff. So I've been like, very not subtly trying to get on that show for quite a long time um, and when he said that they were doing a griffith park episode i was like oh perfect timing i'm in the midst of doing a book on griffith park um so yeah i rode around horseback and um if <laughs> a fun thing about that show is we shot it in two days one was in the spring and one was in the dead of summer um and on in the spring day i'm wearing jeans um and a cotton t-shirt which you're not supposed to wear when you're hiking but we weren't really hiking we were like talking and just going from place to place. Um, so if you can tell which scenes are shot in the summer and just track the sweat dripping down my face, because I'm, I have to wear those long black jeans and the cotton t-shirt. And it was literally like a hundred degrees and full sun that second day of shooting. And I think I drank six gallons of water. Oh, you had to <laughs> wear the same shoot. clothes, same, the same, same clothes. Yeah. yeah. Cause it was made to look as like the same day, but yeah, we dug into the history of the park and had a really fun time, like talking to people throughout the park. And even in that, in that episode, which is about, I think it's a half hour show. Um, um, it really just scratched the surface of the history in that park.
0: Yeah, it was great. Um, one other thing I remember that, that that sort of happened to you was, um, if I'm not mistaken, you got caught in, in that earthquake,
2: right? In, oh, uh, uh, in Nepal. In yes. Nepal. Yeah. Like you were there trekking and you got caught in that. Yes, that was 2016, I think was the big one. Um yeah, I was there uh, as part of an organized trip. We hiked uh, to Annapurna base camp. Um, so as, as, as you may know from listening to me, I'm talking a lot about day hikes. Like I generally don't like backpacking that much. Um, I'm a very um, I'm a, a kind of a high maintenance camper uh, and sleeper in general and that I really don't sleep well when I'm camping. Um, I like backpacking as a means to an end um, and I will suffer through it, but I don't always really enjoy it. Um, Not even as that like type two fund that's always talked about. Um, But this was like a a hut to hut hike. So it was a little bit different. Um, And we had a great trip. It was, I think, a... A week-long, pretty conservative, it was a mild uh, trek up to Annapurna, and it was gorgeous up there, unbelievable, Um, had tremendous food, um, met tons and tons of really awesome people from all over the world, and then we flew back into Kathmandu, and literally as we were walking from the airplane to get our luggage, we were on the, the tarmac, that's when that earthquake hit. Um, And if it had hit about two hours later, we would have been in, I think it was called Durbar Square, which was one of the um, historic places that just collapsed. Like everything collapsed and tons of people died there. Um, So I really like just missed that. Jeez. um, Which was a very (laughs) humbling Uh, experience to have. And then also just trying to get out of Kathmandu um, when it's you and tens of thousands of other people trying to crowd into the airport while there's, you know, the aftershocks of that quake were still like six, five, six, seven. Um, So they were still pretty powerful in a country where there's not a lot of... um, uh, buildings that are designed for earthquakes. So a lot of stuff was still sort of tumbling all over the place during that. Um, not a fun experience to have, but definitely would go back to Nepal. It was uh, an amazing, amazing place. Um, we dodged a lot of bullets personally. Um, and then the group that I was with actually led a lot of fundraising efforts to like help rebuild schools and villages that were affected. Um, so I helped them out with some of that with some of the publicity afterward. But um, yeah, now in LA, like anything below a six, five, I'll sleep through it. Like it was, there, there was an earthquake a couple of weeks ago. And like my social media feeds were like, did you feel that? Did you feel that? And me, my partner and my dog all slept through it. We had no, nothing, nothing to, it's nothing like, to worry dude, about. LA
0: story, the great Steve Martin movie. There's the yes. funny scene when they're all sitting there eating and there's an earthquake and he's like, what do you think it is? It's a, you know, it's uh, about a five, six. I mean, that's, you do kind of get used to them when you live here.
2: So. Yeah. They, they just feel like trucks going by. That kind of, yeah. yeah.
3: Do you have a favorite international hike?
2: Oh man um, so I've I've been lucky enough to hike internationally um, I've hiked in um, in Nepal I've hiked in New Zealand I've hiked in Japan um, and I've hiked in Jordan um, and honestly Jordan I think might have been my favorite, Hiking internationally Um, It's not a place that a ton of people go um, For outdoors But it really felt very similar to me Um, uh, it, It felt very similar to like Utah Like southern Utah, northern Arizona That sort of high plateau very similar plants, very similar rock formations, good like red rock colors um, with like really wild rivers and like slot canyons and super fun stuff. I'm a I'm a desert guy. Um, again, I grew up in New England, so like had no access to mountains or desert or anything that was interesting uh, <laughs> terrain wise. Um, and I just love the deserts a lot. I, I think moving out West, having access to that experience of looking around, whether it's from a butte or a trail or whatever, and just seeing nothing and just saying, like, oh, I'm the only person around for 40 or 50 miles. Yeah, as like, far as you can see. Yeah. That's yes, just, literally. to me, that's, <laughs> like, such a restorative experience. I know people get really freaked out by that. Uh, my partner grew up in the Northwest, and he likes to see dense trees. So for him, seeing, like, the wide open spaces, it makes him, like, really kind of anxious. Uh, we're, we're learning to like each other's terrains a little bit more. Um, but... Uh, for me, that's just like so peaceful and restorative. So it has a lot of that feeling as well out in the desert there.
3: So we talked about big international trips and sort of the big, you know, that sort of feels big and adventurous and, you know, passport worthy. So what about just local hikes and sort of the benefit and the joy of finding some that's nearby and, you know, how do we define, is there a way to define hikes that make it more accessible for everybody?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, in in the hiking community, there's, there's a really big focus on, like, those marquee outdoor hiking experiences. Like, um, I'm looking here at the, at the website and it's a gorgeous view of Yosemite Valley and like, yeah, that's amazing, but how much work does it take to get there? and where can you go that's in your backyard that will give you something i mean not similar to yosemite obviously but like in that same universe of like just being outdoors Um, There's a lot of research now over the past maybe 10 years about like the actual mental and physical health benefits of being in the outdoors. We've always sort of attributed just going outside to like, it's part of exercise and exercise is healthy.
3: Vitamin D. Right. It's,
2: uh, you know, you're active, your blood's going, you know, your blood pressure is going down, all that stuff. But now we know that it like actually changes your mental attitude as well. Um, Even just seeing a picture of the outdoors or taking a walk in the neighborhood can make you feel more altruistic. It slows your sense of time. Um, It like changes your perception of what's important and what's not important. Um, Makes you feel more connected to your you know, your fellow human beings. It's like these things that really have still kind of intangible benefits, but like they're things that we all recognize are good. Um, and you can get those in a neighborhood park. So one of the reasons that I really wanted to write a book about Griffith park, um, one, no one's ever done it yet, which is crazy, um, for a park that big and that popular. Um, and two, I, I live right next to it. So it's the Ferndale entrance, which is one of the historic sort of like manicured forest areas of the park is a 10 minute walk from my front door. Um, I live in the, high town neighborhood of uh, Los Angeles, which is not a super nice neighborhood, but it's very close to a lot of stuff. Um, So for me, it's great to be able to, if I don't want to sit on the 10 for an hour to get to the Santa Monica's or, you know, drive an hour, an hour and a half to get to the high San Gabriel's, I can at least go and walk into Ferndale and then spend a good half a day in Griffith Park exploring stuff. And there's so many places like that that people have access to, whether it's a neighborhood park, a city park, or just a local trail network, or even if you're lucky enough to live in a place where you can just wander around in your own backyard, um, I feel like that doesn't happen quite as much now. People are a lot more concerned about what their kids are doing at all time. But like I used to go wander around in the backyard of my house and there was like a weird swamp back there from an old mill pond. And like now I feel like parents would be like terrified about letting their kids go to like this weird old abandoned mill pond in the middle of nowhere. Um, but that was a fun experience for me. And I like use my imagination and found a bunch of stuff. And uh, I, like you can do that now in city parks. And also I feel like when you are Tied into what's going on in your neighborhood or your city parks, you can become an advocate for those places. So it's all great and good to, to get people to go out on these places, but ideally you want to try to convert them into some sort of an advocate, whether that means hey, I loved hiking in this park. Why don't I try to get some of my friends to come with me who've never been hiking before and take them to like donating time and money, running on a nonprofit board, whatever. Like there's a huge range of stuff that you can do and all of it is good. Um, and all of it is good for the city parks and for people beyond you. So city park parks in general, get the short end of the budget stick um, from national parks down to city parks. They're all on a budget shortfall right now. But if you can help whether you're, you know, bothering your elected officials to like fund those parks properly or do good park projects, um, or help volunteer in those parks like, You get those same benefits of being outside and you're volunteering and you're making things better for other people. Um, Griffith Park in particular, because it's right in the middle of the second biggest city in the country, there's a lot of pressure coming at it from all sides. There's people who want to do like aerial tramways in there. At one point, Dodger Stadium was supposed to be inside Griffith Park. Like there's always people who want to make the parks different. And if there aren't people who are engaged with protecting those parks or making sure at the very least that – they maintain some of the the wild quality that draws you to them in the first place. Um, it's very easy for those places to become sort of overrun and uh, and destroyed for all intents and purposes. So. I'm a big advocate of getting people out in their local parks, tied into our local park communities and local park groups. Um, so definitely go to the national parks. Definitely do those big adventures um, if you can go to Nepal. It's a beautiful country, um, but don't you don't have to put all your eggs in one basket. Like you can save up for those big trips, but also spend the weekends wandering around your neighborhood looking for parks or trying to build a park your own.
3: So if you're not in LA and you don't have your guidebook, do you have any resources that you recommend lo- for people to find local parks and kind of local close to home opportunities that you would recommend?
2: Yeah. I mean, I would say, um, you know, there's this weird thing where, um, and you might be in the same boat too, like running, a, a hiking guide for local areas. I feel like it's really worth your time to find people who know what they're talking about in your city. Um, like, I live in LA. I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on what LA and Southern California hikes are. Um, We have my friend Scott Turner writes for the site. He's also published a bunch of books. He's a San Diegan. Like I feel like if you're in San Diego and you're not talking to Scott, like you're not getting good advice. Um, Anywhere you are, there's someone who's local who's been doing it for a long time. And there's usually a bunch of them who have been doing it. And it's worth finding them out and also finding those printed guidebooks. I feel like there's a lot of um, – there's a big drive in the outdoor community now just to use something like all trails or even just like searching on Google for stuff. And like you're really rolling the dice on that stuff. Sometimes you find stuff and it's great and it's a really in-depth guide with tons of accurate information. Other times there are sites that have like just scraped, scraped Wikipedia and like trailheads are wrong, permit information is wrong or just – you know, it's like the Yelp of trails where someone's like, I saw a rattlesnake, like this trail's garbage, don't do it. And you're like, well, that was your experience, but you're not giving me like a good, um, like sort of objective view about what this trail is like. Um, people have been saying print is dead for a long time. And I think that print is still going to be around and it's worth looking at printed guidebooks, even out of date ones. Um, just because the trails don't change that much from book to book and you get a sense of like connecting to that author or that blogger or whoever you are who like you trust their information you know that like when jeff says something is moderate like and you've been following jeff for a long time like you have a better idea of what moderate is for you um versus like someone who's like you know running up 14ers like every day of the week and they're like well this it's easy for me it's only you know 8,000 feet of elevation gain like you should be able to do this in two hours um so like finding trusted voices is like really important part um, of that hiking experience. So don't rely on like the big ones, like the big all trails and like the sort of user generated ones, like use those as like a a starting point, but then try to dig in and find someone who's been there for a while, who knows what they're talking about.
1: Yeah. and, And do your homework too, because that's the thing, you know, when I was living down in South Orange County, there wasn't a lot of stuff available for Orange County and certainly not online. And so I started creating it, you know, that was right. kind of where SoCal Hiker got started. And, um, you know, it's interesting what's available right in your backyard that you don't know about until you start doing your homework and doing the research and, you know, getting some guidebooks and digging into it and, and exploring some areas and, you know, finding these trails and going, oh, I wonder, wonder where this goes, you know, and and uh, and learning more about those places. Then you find those ones that are convenient to you, you can go, you know, a couple times a week. And that's what I would recommend is that people find a place that you know that's convenient for them to go on a regular basis just for the the mental and physical health benefits of it and then if they want to you know that helps them prepare for if they want to go and do some front range hikes or go to the santa monica mountains or something a little bit further away
2: right and you'll learn how to like read a map exactly. which is very important yeah how to uh, get back <laughs> people people are always shocked when i tell them that i don't use my phone for mapping uh, on the trail or i don't use a gps for mapping um i got into an argument with someone who was like shocked that i used paper maps and i was like well your gps Battery can run out. You could, like, I've dropped my phone certain places and it's died or the batteries run out or it doesn't get a signal. And it's like, if you don't know what you're doing, you're screwed. And you have no, you have nothing to back up with. And also, like, at least for me, I'm also kind of a cartography nerd. Um, so, like, learning how to read a map is a way to discover like, Oh, if I follow this Canyon or this arroyo, like I might be able to get to this campsite. That's up here. Um, that's advanced level stuff. Don't do that as a beginner, but like, (laughs) but that's what you'll learn from like using a map and like following people who know what they're doing on the trail.
0: Well, Casey, thanks for for being one of those trusted voices for all of us here in Los Angeles and all over the West, and all over the West, you know, and Nepal. And Enjoying. the <laughs> Yeah. Tell everyone where we uh, where we can get your
2: book and where we can find you online and social media. And whatnot. Yes. So I am uh, I run the website Modern Hiker. It's modernhiker.com. com. I also run the Modern Hiker Instagram page and the Twitter page, even though it's just not really much. And the Facebook page, even though you won't see it because the algorithm doesn't show you everything anymore. Um, and we also have an email newsletter that I do usually once or twice a month, um, which I've. I, I don't know. Have you guys had experience with, like, email newsletters lately? No. I kind of feel like we're going back to that. I really. like them. Yeah. yeah it's I like them. Re- it's fun. It's, like, I, I use it as a way to, like, it's it's weird. It's, like, I'm blogging again. Like, I'm, it's, like, me in 2008 again where I'm, like, just blogging and writing for myself and, like, getting something original out there um, and knowing that the people who want to get it will get it in their inbox, um, which is, which is kind of a cool feeling here in 2020. Um, and then the books I have are, uh, it's day hiking Los Angeles, uh, and discovering Griffith park. They're both out on Mountaineers books. Um, wherever fine hiking books are sold, you can find them. Uh, you can also find them on Amazon. If you, um, want to screw the publisher and screw the planet with free shipping, you can do that too. (laughs) Um, but try, try to get it at a local bookstore, support your local bookstores, but they keep, Stocking outdoor books for people to read and that people who want to write outdoor books like me can keep tricking publishers into paying us to write them
0: (laughs) Awesome, thank you Well, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, This episode was recorded before the coronavirus So I'm not sure if bookstores are open in your area yet, but if they are go and buy Casey's book if they aren't buy it anyway Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media on Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the almost there adventure podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at the adventurous women. That's adventure U S women, Jeff at the SoCal hiker or me at the Muir project. Our title track almost there is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. Summer is almost here. Woohoo! So, on our next episode, we talk to our friend Mike Kelly about all sorts of different cool things to do outside, mostly in the water. As always, thanks for listening.